You allow me, I want to begin with a big thank you, if you don't mind. Uh, certainly, thank you for the opportunity to come and to uh, share the Word of God with you. That's always a privilege and an honor, and especially to be invited back. Uh, that's another level. What were you thinking, by the way? Uh, but this congregation, uh, a couple of years ago, really was very kind uh, and generous to me and our church family back home. I was scheduled to be here uh, for a teen weekend with you, and literally within days of that taking place, we had a tragedy uh, back at our home congregation, and y'all were so gracious and uh, so uh, willing to be helpful and allow me to uh, cancel my appearance at that and to reschedule, and, and, I, and I know you're thinking, well, we wouldn't have it any other way, and I appreciate that, but I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you very, very much, and I really have looked forward to this week, and just thank you uh, for that opportunity. I hope you have the Heavenly Library with you. Uh, if you do not, try to find one. Find a pew Bible, and, and I want you to take down the book of Ezekiel, and, and we will be there in just a moment. About uh, <clears throat> 30 years ago, when I was graduating college, uh, it was kind of a big deal in our family. I was really the first one from uh, my immediate family ever to really follow all the way through and get that college degree. And my mom called and she said, hey, son, I, we can't be there, but, but we want to do something for you. I'm going to send you some money and you've got to make a promise to me. You won't spend it on a car payment, on insurance, on bills, or anything else. You'll go out and buy yourself something nice. And I went, okay, Mom, whatever you say. And she sent me a really nice check. And I'm like, wow, yeah, she, she, she wasn't kidding. I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to buy? And it hit me. I had always, always wanted to play the guitar. And, and I've just always envied people who can sit down and grab an instrument and just play it. And so, so I ran to the local music store there in Dothan, Alabama, and, I, and it was just loaded with guitars all over the walls. And I'm just sitting there like a kid in a candy store not knowing what to do. And the, the sales guy walked up to me and goes, uh, you here to buy a guitar? And I said, yeah. And he goes, which one? I said, I have no idea. And he grabbed one. He took it down. He just started playing, and it was incredible the way it sounded. I said, I will take that one. Got to the cash register, and, and I'm all excited. And he goes, uh, would, would you happen to be interested in lessons? And I'm like, I'm no idiot. I know I need them. Yes. He goes, Tuesday night work for you? I went, yeah, all right. So I, I was all excited. That, the Tuesday came around, and I'd already, I'd already bought me my George Strait sequin strap, you know, with all the stuff on it, and had my, uh, you know, my sheet music, and had been at home trying to play a few chords and this, that, and the other. And, and so I showed up at that music lesson, and, and, and I was going through it. And I, but I don't know what happened. I still, to this day, don't know exactly what happened. I don't know if it was written on my face or if this guy just had done this so many times before, but he stopped. He just stopped right in the middle of our lesson. He took that guitar from my hands, and he just started playing. And I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. And when he stopped, he handed it back to me, and he goes, would you really like to play like that? I'm like, yeah. He goes, really? I'm like, yes, that's why I'm here. He goes, there's one secret. There's really only one secret to learning how to play the guitar. And I'm like, 
He goes, you got to practice. <laughs> you got to practice. That's it. You just practice and practice and practice and, and, and you'll be good to go. And, and I was kind of sitting there going, well, duh, that's why I'm here. Why are you giving me this sermon? That was 30 years ago. And I've got that guitar, and it's sitting right beside the dresser in my home, and it still has that George Strait, you know, strap on it and all that cheap music. And if you were to put that guitar in my hand right now, I couldn't play one note on that guitar. I couldn't play a chord. I couldn't play nothing. I know what you're thinking to yourself. Well, you idiot, you didn't practice. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've got a really good excuse, all right? First of all, first of all, back in those days, I was not only preaching for a congregation, I was working in the news business, so I was really, really busy. And then, anybody here married? Anybody here married? Women take up so much time. Have y'all realized that? Oh, man. I had recently got married. It was, honey, do this, honey, do that, go over here, this, that, and the other. And then, anybody here have dogs? You got dogs? We had beagles. Don't, don't get a beagle. They look real great in Snoopy's cartoon, but they bark all the time, and ours were digging out of the yard and running down the street, and I was always having to pull them back in. And then the worst part about it was, I, I have a lot of friends who like to play golf, and they were always inviting me. Oh, and I didn't want to be a bad friend. So it's really not my fault that I can't play that guitar. Anybody buying that? Anyone? No, in fact, you're right in here going... And we invited this guy to preach for us? No, you know. It's really simple. There was one simple rule, one simple secret to success, one simple path. And I didn't follow it. And, and I just got to be honest with you. There's kind of a good It's not that interesting to you. Anybody need a guitar? I got a great guitar. It wasn't that important. I, I want us to begin a series now that's going to run through the week. And it's a series I've titled Rules of the Spiritual Road. And it's built around this passage. It comes from Psalms 119. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. Now, I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear the concept of rules. But generally, most of us, when we hear rules, there's almost a negative connotation, Right? If you're younger here, you hear rules, oh, great, I got rules at home, rules at school, rules at camp, rules at church, rules. It's, just, it's just all these rules. And, and what goes through our mind generally when we hear the concept of rules is we think, they're always limiting me. They're always pulling me back in. I can't flap my wings and reach my full potential because there's all these rules, all these boundaries, all these limits, all this regulation. Do you know what God's Word tells us? Rules don't limit us. In fact, when you look at God's rules and you understand what God is sharing in His Word, is He tells us there's great freedom, there's great blessings in His rules. How many times in Scripture does He bring this to our mind? In fact, just focus in Psalms 119, that wonderful passage of Scripture in which every verse centers around the Word of God. Listen to what the psalmist says regarding the value of God's rules in His Word. Psalms 119, 156. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules is endures forever. 
Psalm 119, 175, let my soul live and praise you. Let your rules help me. Verse 43, take not the word of truth out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Uh, verse 7, I'll praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, I'm only going to have a heart that is upright, a heart that is true. I'm only going to have a character that is worthy of my Lord when I learn the rules. And then if you go to Psalms 19, Psalms 19 and in verse 9, again, the emphasis here on the second half of this psalm on the Word of God, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. I want you to grasp and understand that there's great value in rules. And, and I, I tell you what, you really deep down believe that. You deep down believe that. How, how many of you here are Razorback fans? Are there any Razorback fans here? You know when you play Alabama and they cheat? They're not following. The, that's the only reason they win. They're not following the rules. But you know what it's like to be watching a game and you see pass interference. or you Hey, you don't have to be in the stadium. You can watch it a million miles away on your television and you can see it. And you want somebody to keep the rules. When you're out there on the highway, what do you want everybody to do? Please keep the rules. Because it's the rules that bring safety. It's the rules that bring deliverance. But even more importantly, listen to what your heavenly father is sharing with you about the importance of this wonderful library we call the Bible. These boundaries, these rules, save your soul. And so when God speaks to us about the value of his word, don't, don't, don't look at it from the standpoint of it's just rules that are intended to limit you in. Oh, no, 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 quite the contrary. The rules are there so that you can reach a potential that goes far beyond your imagination. All right, let's look at the first rule that I want us to think, uh, emphasize in this series. I want you to go to a text in Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, just to set the standard or the, the context here for you. Uh, Judah is in Babylonian captivity. And if you know your Bible history, you know that God had been promising this a long time and now it's happened. And however, while they're in captivity and although they've been pulled away by the wickedness of their fathers and their fathers and their fathers, and although they're in captivity for their own wickedness, it's not leading to their repentance. Isn't that crazy? Even though they've been hauled to the other side of the world and they're being forced to live along the banks of the Chibur River in a land that is not their own, and although they are now answering to a pagan king, they really haven't changed their attitude much. And so God commissions a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is going to go and preach to the people. Anybody here a Harry Potter fan? Anybody here Harry Potter fans? Oh, yeah, yes, you and I will get along, all right? Love it. I quote Dumbledore all the time, just to go ahead and warn you for that. He was a wise wizard. It's not your circumstances, it's your choices that determine what you do. I digress, but nonetheless, have you seen Harry Potter? Harry Potter's got nothing on Ezekiel, folks. Nothing. 
In fact, the very first chapter begins with Ezekiel seeing these strange visions out of heaven. And there are, there are chariots that are zooming across the sky. And there's eyeballs all around the rims of the chariots. You'll also notice that, that, that Ezekiel is going to preach a sermon laying on his side for hundreds and hundreds of days. He's going to build forts. He's going to crawl under walls. He's going to do things. that are. He's going to burn his hair, stomp his hair. And yet with all these sermons, the people aren't listening. They don't turn back to God. And when we get to Ezekiel 18, listen to what God says through His prophet Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes. And the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord. This proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. This phrase, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth have been set on edge, is actually a Hebrew idiom is what it would be described as. And what it's actually referring to is the idea that this isn't my fault. My father ate the grapes. My father did the deed, and I'm suffering for it. And he uses some terminology that I know many of the adults here can readily identify with, a bitter taste in your mouth. Let me explain this. I'll show you this. Anybody here ever remember the very first Diet Colas? Anybody here ever had a tab? Oh, right. You just immediately went, oh, that was, oh. It was all, I was so cool. Everybody wanted to, you're singing that going, oh, that is horrible. Horrible. Well, that's what this is all about. We're dealing with horrible, not because of what we did, but because of what our parents did. Now, if you kind of look at their history, <laughs> their, their parents were pretty evil, especially if you consider the kings. Manasseh is actually, actually the wickedest, probably, king in the southern kingdom. The, ba the Assyrians will take him away in a hook in his nose. Jehoiakim, also evil. The Babylonians take him away. Jehoiachin, a teenage king set up by Nebuchadnezzar, along with 10,000 citizens of Jerusalem, is taken away in captivity. Yeah, they, they were evil, no doubt about it. But listen to what God says to him. God says, I'm in control. And because I'm in control, you always have a choice. And notice what God says here. He says, as long as I live. Your parents ever done that one to you? As long as you're in this house. As long as I'm around. This is God this is God saying, as long as I live, I don't want to hear this anymore. Because I am a sovereign God. And I am a fair God. And you always, always, always have a choice. 
fact, when you think back in Scripture, that's exactly what Jesus is teaching all of us, that, that, that God loves us and He gave us His only begotten Son. If you want to talk about lack of fairness, there's your lack of fairness, not on our part, but His. But yet God created all of us in His image and He's given us His will. And what God is going to do, and this is what makes this passage so powerful is he's not going to just talk about the people. No, the emphasis of this text is on himself. And when you claim that life is not fair, when you claim things are not your fault, when we claim that this tragedy or this consequence is not because of me, We're telling God, we're telling the Creator that He's not just. And what God is going to do is He's going to reveal Himself in this passage and He's going to say, clearly, you don't know me at all. Because if you knew me and you truly knew my heart and my will, you would never run from responsibility of your actions. You would never run from accountability for your actions. I work with kids a lot during the summer. I'm a summer camp director, and I get to go to a lot of teen weekends as well. Just came from Dallas. And one of the things that I always try to remind the kids of is this. Never, ever, ever Lie. Especially, never lie to your God. Never lie to your parents. Never lie to me. Because we're always going to love you. Always. And God says, I'm sovereign. All souls are mine. I know what's going on already. <laughs> why would you lie to me? And why would you lie to the ones that love you? Notice when you get in the text, as God reveals His character in this text, He says, I am a just judge. First of all, behold, all souls are mine, the Father as well as the Son. The soul is mine, and the soul who sins shall die. Uh, a little bit later in verse 20, He repeats the exact same thought. The soul who sins shall die. The, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Uh, Judah, Judah struggled with his concept, and maybe, maybe it's because Judah struggled with a passage that goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, in Exodus chapter 20 and in verse 5, God gives them a warning against idolatry, and in the Ten Commandments, he says, You are not to bow down or serve the idols, for I am a jealous God. And he comes with this warning to those who do. I will visit iniquity on the fathers, to the children, to the third and the fourth generation. So, a limited scholar would say, yes, there it is. There's where God said, because of what the fathers did, iniquity's going to go to the third and the fourth generation. What they failed to do is notice the exact next verse. Exodus 20, verse 5. 
But I'm a God showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The fact of the matter is, if we're really kind of going to look at this honestly, there are some consequences that are passed on to children that the children are not responsible for. You grew up with an alcoholic father? You know. You know. <laughs> I don't want to get on a soapbox, although I could use one to be a little taller. But nonetheless, I don't want to get on a soapbox. Christians who justify drinking clearly didn't have an alcoholic father. Sometimes because of the financial choices of parents, kids suffer. Sometimes because of the marriage situation or the breakup of a marriage, kids suffer. But I want you to listen to what your Lord is telling you. No one, no one, because of their choices, can affect your standing and your relationship with God. And by His love and His mercy and His grace, you always have a choice. And you can rise above those ashes if you choose to. You know what's interesting? There was another great prophet who was in captivity at this time along with Ezekiel. His name was Daniel. Uh, Daniel 9. Daniel 9 verses 4 to 5. I want you to listen to the heart of Daniel. Daniel says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and steadfast love with all those who love Him and His commandments, we have sinned. What? No, Daniel, you, you should have said, they sinned. No. No, Daniel says, we have sinned. Includes me. And have done wrong and rebelled. And I bring that heart to my Lord. I bring that repentance to my Lord because I know He's a just God. I know, and I know He's also a merciful God. Listen to what God says in verses 30 and 31 of the same chapter. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest they be your ruin. Cast away all your transgressions that you've committed. And, 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 and notice what he goes on to say. He goes, and you make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Go back a little earlier in verses 21 to 23. He says, but if a wicked person turns from all his sins and he keeps my statutes, he will surely live. He will not die. Verse 23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, but not rather that he should turn from his way as live? Listen to what God says. I long to forgive you. I'm here to forgive you. Why would you not own up to your ways? I am a forgiving God. Why would you try to hide it? I am a merciful God. But I'm also a God of judgment. And I will judge you, as he says in verse 30. But you don't have to die. You don't have to die. You can turn and...
can live. You know, one of my favorite passages in Scripture comes from the book of Deuteronomy in one of Moses' songs in Deuteronomy 30, verse 4. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 4, Moses is describing God's incredible love. And, 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 and what he does is he speaks for God. God says, you can't go so far away from me that I can't grab you with my arm and pull you back in. You can't get so far away from me that I can't reach you and pull you back in. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Israel, why would you not just repent and turn back to me? Do you not know who I am? Am. I, I know what it's like when we get caught in sin. It's a little embarrassing. It's a little scary. We, we worry about how others might treat us, how they might react. But listen to your father. All souls are mine. You belong to me. I already know what you did. And I'm begging you to come back. I'm begging you to repent. I'm a merciful, merciful God. And can I just say something to everybody who's here, especially those who are younger? I I can speak not only as a preacher and an elder, but as a parent. We'll always love you. Always. Always. You can always come home. That's what God's saying. But, but, but God's also recognizing and understanding that He's given us all choice. And He's given us free will. And He's not going to make us do anything that we don't want to do. This is one of the most staggering things about God to me. This is one of those things that I, I, I just really cannot grasp at times. I, I, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I, I, have a fr- I have a frustration with a dog who won't obey me. Anybody got a dog? You're going to do that. I'll take you. I have the same thing with my kids. If I could just force you. It makes me think of God. I mean, if I had the power to force my dog to do the right, I would do it. We'd jet out of that thing right now, and it would sit down when I said said. It would walk out. It would shut up and wouldn't bark all the time, and it would be in the right place. You would not get in our bed, that's for sure. You're right. And if I could do that to my kids, it would be even better. Get your dad a cup of coffee. Take care of dad's car. Please, clean the house with a big smile on your face. Yes. But it doesn't work that way. Because there's no greater expression of love 
than when somebody chooses to love you. And what God has done is He's given us choice. And and, and so what He tells us in this passage is that when it comes to evil, any form of evil, in fact, in verses 10 to 13, He's just going to list a big slew of sins. And He says, here's what they all have in common. They're a choice. They are always, always, always a choice. And you can't blame anyone, anyone for the choices that you make other than yourself. And in the same manner, he says righteousness is a choice. In other words, don't look at somebody else and say, you know what, it's just easy for you. It's just easy for you to do the right thing. Oh, it's just easier for you because you had this or you had that or you're doing this or you've had... No, no. God says quit it. Quit making excuses. It works both ways. The righteous man, the righteous woman is making a choice. We have a couple people back at our home congregation who are incredible. I mean, they are literally biblical scholars. In fact, y'all are actually studying a book by Nathan Ward. Nathan Ward, he wrote one of the books. I noticed that y'all are saying, his parents go to church with us. How would you like to go to church where the older couple in the congregation is by far incredibly much smarter and more brilliant? Not that it's that hard for me, but nonetheless for them to be that way. They're always in the congregation. Like, oh, what, what? Well, it's just easy for them. Yeah, right, you know. That brother Keith, he just woke up one morning and he could speak Hebrew. That's what we think. No, it isn't. It's a choice. It's a choice that every day they decided, he and Deanie, to practice the study of the Word of God. And and, and that's exactly what Ezekiel is saying here. To the one who chooses to obey my rules, it's always a choice. Now here's where we kind of get a little sideways with his choosing evil and choosing righteousness. Sometimes we kind of fail to realize that some of our choices are like that big long line of dominoes. (laughs) Okay, I I may have pushed over this one, you know, and it was really not a bad thing to do. It was just a little one. But I didn't push over that one. That one's not my fault. Worked with a lot of young couples over the years, and it's interesting how you can sometimes see a path. Two young people say, we got to get married. We want to get married. Oh, oh, Mr. Phil, we just love each other. We love each other so much. Love each other so much. I say, hey, well, great. That's great. I'm glad you're in love. Have you all thought about finishing school? Oh, yeah, we're going to finish school. We're going to finish school. Have you ever thought about having a decent job? You know, you know, do two jobs at Taco Bell. Uh, that's great. At least you get a free dinner every now and then. But is that really what you're thinking about here? Oh, no, but we love one another. We love one another. Well, maybe you ought to wait. Mommy, wait. You can't tell me to wait. The Bible says it's better to marry than burn. I'm like, well, you're kind of twisting that passage. We want to get married, we get married. There's no reason we can't get married, we get married. And the parents go, yeah, let them get married. And you're like, "Mm, oh, yeah, okay, all right. They get married. Then they realize you got to pay the bills. 
and that job doesn't make a much, so we need to move over here to another city, and we move away from our church family, and we move over here, and we get a job that pays a little bit more here, and then we, we, we need a nice car. Everybody deserves a nice car, and so they're, 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 they're able to get a nice car that they really don't need, but they got them a nice car, and then, then that job that they move for doesn't really work out like it should, and that car gets wrecked, and the bills start piling in, and then all of a sudden they get pregnant, and they're like, oh, no, we didn't see this coming. Really, you didn't see this coming? And now you got a baby to feed, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then after years and years of struggle and trial and finances and challenges and failure to listen, they start fighting. And then there's infidelity. And then there's somebody sitting in my office going, it's not my fault. Folks, life's about choices. And there's a principle of the path. And yeah, you may not have intended to push that domino over, but when you started pushing these and they all started falling, that's what happens. And it's choice. And so what God tells us is that we can repent. Isn't that the one of the most beautiful thoughts in all of Scripture? You can always repent. You can always turn. Notice he uses that phrase a couple of times in the passage. You can repent and turn. You can always turn. Turn from your transgressions and live. The word live here in the Hebrew implies to be whole, to be revived, to recover, to preserve. Remember where we began with this story with my guitar? <laughs> I could. I could repent. I'm only 50. It would probably only take me 50 more years to learn those songs. But to be honest with you, I can't play because it's just not that important. In my hands, that guitar is useless. It's a piece of wood. Put it in the hands of a master. Oh, it's a beautiful instrument. It's in the same way my life. In my hands and my selfishness, it can be a pathetic pile of dust. But if I give it over to the hands of the Master, I commit it to Him. It can be a beautiful instrument in His service. And where it all begins with understanding the first rule of the spiritual road. I'm accountable. I'm accountable for all my choices and my actions.
And so if you can give this a quick take home, we are accountable for ourselves, our wealth, our health, our faith, everything, everything is eventually going to come back to us, especially ourselves spiritually. As Romans 14 verse 12 tells us, each one of us, each one of us individually will give an account of himself to God. Please bear in mind, Noah chose to be righteous in a very wicked world. Job chose humility even in the midst of great suffering. Daniel chose to be pure even while in captivity. Caleb chose to be fruitful even in old age. Esther chose to be courageous even when facing death. And men like Uzzah chose death even before he touched the ark. And Solomon chose turmoil even before he married all those idolatrous women. Secondly, I'm making a choice right now. And we need to keep that in mind. Even the idea of saying, well, I'm not sure yet, I'm not sure yet. That's still a choice. That's still a choice. Well, I don't know if I really want to get that involved in the church. I really want to give up on that much time. Maybe that's a choice. That is a choice. Please hear me on this, folks. Everybody's eyes right here. This is important. This is extremely important. We love We love to always come up with excuses of why we're not more involved in the Lord's work and the Lord's service in doing the Lord's will and fulfilling the works and the things that are needed in a church. And we all have great excuses. And every single one of them is a choice. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful that you're not falling back inadvertently and, wait, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and my teeth have been set on edge. We're making a choice right now, says the Lord. And then last, please know this about your heavenly Father. To the righteous, this is one of the most comforting truths in all of Scripture. Our Lord will judge righteously. Our God will judge righteously. In Romans chapter 2 and in verses 6 through 8, Paul says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. See, a fair God, a loving God, A merciful God must judge. And I choose to throw myself upon the altar of His mercy. To throw myself upon the altar of His love. To come to Him with an open heart and say, help me. 
If a man is righteous and does what is just and right and walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he is righteous and he will surely live. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. And the first rule is this. I'm accountable for all my actions. And isn't it wonderful to know that my Lord, my Lord, even when I turn from Him, is waiting for me to come home. And I choose to go home. This morning. This morning, maybe it's time for you to take accountability for your life. To listen what your heavenly Father is saying. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to yourself. See who I am. I'm a merciful God. Come home. And I can't make you. But I'm going to do everything within my power to convince you. So much so that I'm sending my son to be a lamb for you. To endure this humanity for you. And to lead you home. Grab his hand. Come back to me. If we can help you do that this morning, if that's you, please don't linger. Come home. Come now while we stand and while we sing.